Um, yeah, today all over the world, people, there are going to be countless churches that will be teaching and declaring the power of a death, the power of a resurrection. And so, of course, today is a day in which we rejoice in that, we celebrate in that, but let's also be real. We need to teach into that. And so uh, today, we are going to obviously do that. So why don't we open up to uh, Matthew chapter 27. Uh, and uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit to gain an understanding in what is going on here. Uh, and why are people celebrating today? So Matthew chapter 27, uh, we're going to see in uh, verse 45. Come on now. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. <clears throat> then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the grave after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. And so what we see here, yeah, this is, this is what's happening three days ago, but you can't have a resurrection if you do not have a death. And so here, he who knew no sin became sin to be a ransom for many. And that is something to glory in. We see a continuation, obviously, of the story and what is really being celebrated today in Matthew 28. Verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, on the first day of the week, as it began to dawn, that would be early this morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Come on. Mm. He's risen. Now, the whole irony in all of this, or not the irony, but I should say that in order to defeat sin and death, there is an irony. Jesus defeated sin on the cross, but then he defeated death when he came from the tomb. Okay? There's two things that are going on. And so uh, what happens here is there is an irony because in order to defeat sin and death, 
You must first willingly lay down your life so that he can pick it up again. And so today is really the full Easter story, the full resurrection story. And so what's going on here today is this. There's over one billion Christians on planet Earth. And there will be over one billion people that will be doing something today about Easter or resurrection. And many of them will be doing it out of a cultural necessity, right? There'll be no talking of Jesus. There'll be no repentance. There will be no, no, no celebration of who he really is. They're just going to get together and eat their ham or eat their chicken and do their thing. But many of the one billion are actually truly rejoicing and celebrating the fact the lamb was crucified, but that he rose out of the grave. Now, there's a third set. There's even fewer people who are recognizing the full story. There are few that are recognizing the full story and then are going out to implement that full story in their life. And the full story is this. Before there is a resurrection... There needs to be a death. That's good. Come on. You see, many people want to see the resurrection of Jesus in their life. But not all want to see the death of the flesh. Let's see this again in case you missed that. Many people want to see a resurrection. Jesus, help me. Jesus, do this. Jesus, transform my situation. But to get a resurrection, you need to die in the flesh. And this is the full story. And there's actually even more, but there's so much to talk about in terms of a full story that we're going to make maybe three quarters of a story. Come on, the story. Pilate announces, Ecce homo, behold the man. During the trial, Jesus is beaten. He is whipped. He bears the crown of thorns. We, we, we see him as the lamb. But the Father in heaven... Yes, he sees him as a lamb, but he also sees him as his own son that is going through this. Yes, through the cross and the resurrection, there is the defeat of the power of sin and death. But more importantly, may I tell you this, more importantly than the defeat of sin and death is what the defeat of sin and death now allows. And what it allows here is this. There's a restoration of the relationship of God Towards man. I want to make this very clear for some of us that may be new to these things. Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus being risen from the grave, restores the relationship between God to man. It's, it's, it's God-centered down to man. And now, what's happening is this. Now God looks to you. Oh man, oh son of Adam, are you willing to restore your relationship to me? Will you gaze upon the cross? See, Jesus upon the cross, he became sin. He became your sin. He became the eternal sacrifice to pay for sin. The atonement of sin. But he became sin who knew no sin. But what is sin? Sin is separation from God. This is the first and only time in everlasting past, in everlasting future, 
that the Son is separated from the Father. And the Father is separated from the Son. I want you to think about that. The eternal Father, the eternal Son, having to bear a separation that was never there before. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But thy will be done. Why does Jesus say to the Father, take this cup from me, if it's your will, but I want to do your will? Is it, does he see into the future the pain of a crucifix, the pain of being whipped, the pain of having a crown of thorns? Is this what he is worried about? And I think when you read the text and you see the movies, that's what we default to. But I'm here to tell you that I really do believe by the Spirit that what he is really asking for the cup to be taken is not the pain of the crucifix, but a pain of separation. Wow, Father, I don't want to be separated from you when I'm three days in the belly of the earth because that pain trumps any earthly pain that one can receive. And I think that's the cup where he's saying, Father, please, don't, don't make me be separated from you. The full story of the power of the cross and the power of resurrection is a story of divine separation. The pain of separation between the Father and the Son was endured so that you and I, sons and daughters of Adam, could be unified again with the Godhead. The separation was worth it in the heavenly realm so that you and I could no longer be separated because you know what hurts more than a separation from your Son for three days is an eternal separation of God from His creation. And he cries out to us today. Don't be separated any longer. To be resurrected from sin into new creations is to be born again. It is to be filled with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is what comes out of a divine separation. So that all creation, all of creation that has been yearning out could now finally see the sons and daughters of God being made manifest. Do you hear what's going on here? Eternal life, no longer a separation, a resurrection from sin, new creation, being born again, indwelling the Holy Spirit, and all of creation seeing the sons and daughters of God finally being made manifest from the fall of the Garden of Eden. All of that occurred because a father and a son chose to be separated. But the full story. Before the resurrection, and we read, this, we read the account before the earth quaked on that day, and before the graves opened, there needed to be a death. <clears throat> and before the defeat of sin and death, there needed to be a crucifixion. And before an empty tomb, he needed to carry the cross. I'm here to tell you this, that the full story of Easter is this. 
Before a resurrection, there needs to be a death. Jesus is the example. He walked away from an empty tomb. I'm telling you this today, this Easter, this resurrection, in the midst of the rejoicing, in the midst of the celebration, there needs to be an understanding of what that celebration and rejoicing is all about. And it's not, it's not just that we get to have eternal life. It's that you have the ability to now leave an empty tomb behind in your life. If Jesus is the example, we are to model our lives after Jesus. And if Jesus walked away from an empty tomb, I am telling you here today that you and I need to walk away from an empty tomb. The tomb, our grave. Our flesh. See, we pick up our cross. We're supposed to crucify our flesh in the Spirit. And then we can leave an empty tomb of our flesh behind This Easter, there needs to be a resurrection in the Spirit. Today, folks, in your life, in my life, there needs to be a resurrection in the Spirit. But I'm here to tell you this. But before there is a resurrection, there needs to be a death. And before a death, there needs to be a cross. What does this mean? We're called to be like Jesus. The church likes to talk about our empty tombs and that we come into a resurrection. But not many people in the West want to teach anymore the power of you picking up a cross. What does this all mean, guys? Before you get a resurrection in your life, you need to bear a cross. Our carnal nature needs to die. The greed, the idolatry, the image-focused life, The pride, the ego, the thought of self-righteousness. If I just pray a little bit more, if I just go to church a little bit more, if I just do this thing right, I'll be able to earn my way into the kingdom. That all needs to die. And the big one, picking up the cross of of, of no longer wanting to be self-justified towards others. What does this all mean? It's the notion of feeling the need to prove to others, to prove to God your spirituality, your skills, your talents, your giftings, your self-worth. All of this, folks, is not picking up the cross. And I really believe this is what's happened. The church needs to get back on the cross again. For we've taken ourselves off of it. It's good, David. We've allowed the flesh to leak back in. We've allowed Hollywood celebrity status to leak back in. We've allowed Facebook likes and Instagram followers to leak back in. We, we, we've allowed to, what does a pastor look like? Does he wear a sport coat? Should he wear a tie? Should he wear slacks? We've allowed all that to leak back in. The church needs to get back on the cross because we have taken ourselves off.
There are two types of believers on the cross. One's negative, and one is the right one. The negative one. Uh, I would call this type of person the woe is me Christian. This is the person that appears to be on a cross, you know, oh, woe is me, my life is so hard, my adversity, my difficulty. There's a focus on you and your trouble. I'm going to tell you this, if you or I are one of those types of people, you need to get off that cross right now, for someone else needs the wood. You need to get off that cross right now. For someone else needs the wood. Now what do I mean by this? You need to get off the cross of your own pity party. Today is a celebration of the power of the cross. The power of resurrection. The power of leaving the flesh behind. And too many of us keep ourselves on a cross. A negative cross of woe is me, my life is so hard, everything is coming up against me. Today is a celebration. We need to get off that pity party and we need to show people the power of the cross in our lives. We need to show people the power of the true cross, the power of the resurrection. What is the true cross of your life? the true modeling of it, of Jesus. The power of the true cross is this. In your difficulty, difficulty, you call out to the Father. But what's the call? It's not even take the difficulty away. It's not even take the adversity away, although there's a place to pray like that. But the power of the cross is, let me be transformed in this. People want to pray their problems away, which there's a time to do that. But a more important prayer, dare I say, is that when the problems are here, let me be transformed into your image on the cross. A death of the flesh. So I want to say this. Every man, woman, and child has their own cross to bear. Adversity. Difficulty their own shortcomings, their own flesh. But here's the truth of the matter. You don't make your own cross. If you make your own cross, that's essentially you being the woe is me, pity party Christian. Oh, look at me, look what I'm going through. The cross that you bear has been prepared for you. And you can bear it because He bears it with you. It is the cross of the carnal flesh. I want to clarify, it's, it's, not, it's not like, oh, I have a terminal disease. Oh, I have cancer. Oh, I have this affliction. It's not a cross. The cross is whatever you are going through, you're nailing your flesh to it. And you're saying, I no longer want to be like this. I want to nail it to the cross like Jesus did so that I can walk away from an empty tomb. And if you don't like that, Charles Spurgeon, there are no crown wearers in heaven 
who are not cross-bearers here wow. below. See, we all want a crown. We all want a resurrection. But you can't get a crown unless you bear a cross. And it's not your cross, it's the Lord's cross. It's the nailing back of the flesh. It's the self-image. It's let me be proved right. It's my self-justification, my self-righteousness. It needs to be nailed to the cross. And whatever you're going through right now, I'm telling you this right now, that there is a crown which nobody's head but yours can ever wear. There is a seat in heaven which none but you yourself can sit. There is a harp that will remain silent till your fingers strike its strings in exaltation and praise. My cross is not your cross. Your difficulty is not my difficulty. You can't wear my crown. I can't wear your crown. We all have our own cross to bear. And we all, if we bear it, can wear that crown and lay it down at the feet of Jesus. But we focus and we look to a a crown. But we forgot that to get the crown, to lay at his feet, there needs to be a death. And there needs to be a death to the flesh. Maybe right now, there's an affliction in the flesh. Maybe right now you're struggling because you lost a job. Maybe right now or in your life you've had a divorce or maybe you've had accusations against you. You have to understand something. Only you get to wear that crown and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Only, only if you are willing to bear that cross. But you see, the human condition says this. No, but I want to be justified in the divorce. I want everyone to know that he or she is the one that did it wrong. I want everyone to know in ministry that I'm the one that has done X and they are the ones that have done that. So many of us just want to be justified. I want to be seen to be in the right. Or, Or it just isn't fair. Beloved, that type of articulation is the flesh. And it is this that is the greatest temptation by Jesus. I'm sorry. This is the greatest temptation for Jesus by Satan. Jesus, be justified. Wow. Jesus, be justified. Listen to how they mock you. Satan, speaking to Jesus when he's bearing the cross. Be justified, you son of God. Don't fall for that trap. Get back up on the cross. Why? Because before there's a resurrection... There needs to be a death. Let's turn to Matthew 27 again, verse 39. Fill out this story. Mary, I want you to uh, start playing a little bit here. Mm-hmm. 
sorry, um, Matthew uh, 27, verse 39. Just make sure we, uh, we keep it down. I don't know how it comes through on YouTube virtually. Let's go back actually to verse 36. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put up over his head the accusation. Written against him, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. In mockery, how easy it would be to just come down off of the cross. Verse 38. Then the two robbers who were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left, and those who passed by blasphemed him. They mocked him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and the elders said, he saved others himself. He cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross. And we believe. And we will believe him. The mockers say to him, He saved others, but himself he cannot save. Satan speaking through the mockers. Oh, look, they'll finally believe in you. They'll finally believe in the gospel. They'll finally exalt you into the right place of where you're supposed to be if you, Jesus, just come off of that cross. But did not Jesus say to Peter, Peter, don't you know, if I asked my father to send down a legion of angels, he would. It is my will to get on the cross. See, Jesus could not save himself, not because of a physical restraint, but because of a spiritual imperative. The mockers, ironically, and Satan himself ironically spoke the truth. He saves others. Himself, he cannot save. Correct. Wow. He cannot save himself. Because if he saves himself and takes himself off the cross, all of us would not be saved. Wow. If Jesus saved himself, he could not have saved others. The flesh had to die. The sacrifice had to be made. The blood had to be spilled. Oh, 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 but how many of us, oh, oh, but how many of us just want to save ourselves? But how many of us want to take ourselves off the cross? I want to be justified. I want the revenge. I want the accolades. I want to be right. Brother, sister, get back on the cross. The world, the accuser, your own mind shouts out to you in mockery. Save thyself. Be justified and build your own kingdom. No, people. Climb back on the cross. Crucify the flesh so that you can show others the power of the true cross. The church wants resurrection power. The church wants a Pentecost. The church wants a great harvest on planet Earth. Oh, but I'm telling you the full story is that before a resurrection, there needs to be a death. Come on, 
So today, I'm telling you, as we rejoice and as we celebrate, it would be a half a celebration, it would be half a rejoicing if we do not carry out our faith by action. He came and died to restore relationship. And he left behind an empty tomb so that you and I could follow suit. And it would be in vain today if you rejoice in resurrection if tomorrow you don't die to the flesh yourself. So I leave you with this. As we reflect on the holiness of this hour, the holiness of this day, have you focused too much on a resurrection, but you haven't died to the flesh? Have you focused so much on resurrection power that you've actually taken yourself off the cross prematurely? I'm telling you, brothers, sisters, we got to get on the cross. And let the mockers come. And let the people see the power of a true cross. Nailing back of the flesh, a resurrection of the spirit, and a walking away from a tomb that was us. As the great Leonard Ravenhill said, are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? What are you living for? Did Christ die so that you could be justified in your marriage? Did Christ die so that you could have revenge? Did Christ die so you could have more money than your neighbor? Or did he die so he can model appropriate behavior of what it means to be a son or daughter? That even though they mock you, you willingly yourself put yourself on the cross and die to the flesh and say, Jesus, Father, let them see the power of the cross, the power of a resurrection. Closing up, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul speaking. Oh, that I might know. Oh, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. Paul is saying, I, I wish and I desire to know the power of resurrection, but I can't get the power of resurrection until I know the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death. Oh, if by any means I may attend to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind the flesh, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. 
And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, so powerful. For many, many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Why? Because their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, whose glory is their only shame. This is Paul talking about believers. This is Paul talking about Christians. This is Paul talking about churches all throughout the world. Their real gain is their belly and their own self-worth. They've defamed and they're enemies of the true cross. And 2,000 years later, the same. No. I get up on the cross again, Lord. You justify me. I lay my life down so the world could see a resurrection. My citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord, Jesus, the Messiah, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Are the things you are living for worth Christ? dying for. Before a resurrection, there needs to be a death. Lord, we thank you for perfect love. We thank you for the manifestation of pure love. You laying down your life for the world. And Lord, we rejoice in that fact today. And we rejoice in that matter today. And we sing how glorious and how good you are today. But Father, I would be amiss. I would be amiss if I didn't see the full story. And if I didn't teach the full story. That you are the model. And we are to follow suit. Father, I pray this resurrection, the church across planet Earth climbs back on the cross again. We've spent so much time trying to climb onto thrones and trying to climb onto places of authority. But authority only comes when we place ourselves on a cross and see a resurrection. Have a wonderful week and enjoy your families and rejoice, people. Rejoice in what he has done for you this hour and this day. But I want you to know the full story. Yes, he purchased you. Yes, he defeated sin and death. But part of the full story is now we like Paul, we like the disciples get to go out and bear his cross on earth.
That's the full story. Amen. Have a wonderful week. We'll have some time of reflection and praying uh, with Mario leading us. Hope to see you this week. This Wednesday, we'll also have our prayer meeting. So, see you then.